Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Right, we're just done and dusted for stage five of the 2020 Dakar Rally. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media, the special Dakar Rally edition. I'm joined by the usual suspect in Ben Constantadouros, and we've got a very special guest. We tried to catch up with him throughout the race, but he's been a very busy man for obvious reasons. Glenn Hall, team principal for Toyota Gazoo Racing. Um, chatting to you now at the bivouac, we're waiting for the cars to come in with the stage five having just wrapped up. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Derek. Everything, uh, everything good. We're not leading the race, so I'm feeling still a little bit uneasy. But uh, having said that, we had a good stage today. NASA second and uh, second overall. But Carlos seems to have got a, you know, a good turn of speed at 57 years old. So that's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it looked to me like the the problem with NASA. He only had one car ahead of him in Peter Hansel, and Peter Hansel a puncture within 40 kilometers, leaving NASA to, to open the tracks. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, I did see that on the timing today. So, yeah, have, saying that and thinking about it, uh, he was opening the road for over 200 kilometers and still managing to keep Carlos behind. I just had a message from Matthew earlier on. He had a slow puncture the last uh, 80K, so that's always on your mind. And then it came off the rim with 3Ks to go. So I think we lost uh, a minute or two right in the end. So maybe... Uh, Maybe better than we thought. It was supposed to be sand at the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. But, uh, I mean, there's always stones or something in the end, uh, you know, somewhere. And the fact that it was a slow puncture means uh, it could have been anything on the track. We, we Nobody will ever know. Just having a look at the results so far. So, I mean, we're still waiting for a lot to come in. But the man guys, who, who of course, we're interested in, uh, involved Toyota Gazoo Racing, uh, Janelle de Villiers coming in in sixth place. Uh, just uh, under 12 minutes off the pace, Glenn. I see you checking your phone fast and furiously because this is, is go time. I mean... Uh, geez, the pressure never ends and the interest never ends from your side because you're constantly being updated with every little thing out on the route. Yeah, uh, not only up, uh, out on the route as well, you, you're getting bits of information, you're trying to piece uh, a picture together to try and stay ahead of the game uh, all the time. So uh, it's not, it, it's not um, kind of as easy as one would think, keep getting all the information, although we're here, they are a long way away. But the other side of it is it's judging what our absolute pace can be. And uh, we're trying to win this race. And uh, obviously, we're, we're up against it. Would you have expected more pace from Janelle today, 11 minutes back? Yeah, I thought he was in a good, strong position to start the day. And uh, it was a good opportunity to close the gap on, on Stefan. And uh, in the end, I think we've lost around six minutes to Stefan. So that, that was a bit disappointing. But obviously, Janelle must have had a, a problem. He was going to push today. And uh, we'll see now. He's just arrived at the gate of the bivouac. Well, uh, here we have a, a couple of cars coming through. I might actually have to just halt it here for a second because I've got to go wrap up an interview. So we'll be back uh, in a few seconds' time. So we've uh, lost Ben. He's gone off to do a couple of interviews. And there was uh, a crazy couple of hours, well, past hour now because all the drivers and the navigators arrived following stage five. And then, Glenn, just talk us through hard works because... I mean, from our side, the media perspective, it's madness. The guys come in. We've got to get all our interviews done, etc. Your side, uh, you've got to find out exactly what took place out on the road today. Absolutely. The sooner we find out what uh, what happened, Derek, the, the quicker that we can react. 
and the best time for that is, is immediately the drivers and co-drivers get out of the car. They make a short list on the road section coming in, but uh, we need feedback from all aspects of the car. The data is easy to uh, check for us, but if the driver said, no, something happened at such and such a kilometer, that sort of speeds up the process fourfold. So these, uh, shall we say, 30 minutes after the driver gets out of the car, absolutely critical to us. Yeah, I mean, I see it firsthand because I'm always first as they get out the door with the camera in hand, microphone in hand. I've got Ray behind me with the camera, but uh, first water call, they always ignore me. They go straight to you and with good reason. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, they've got a lot of pressure on them. You, you talking to them and, and uh, discussing things, not that they forget, but it's not front of mind anymore. And uh, we want that accurate information hot off the press and uh, that way we get the most accurate feedback but most importantly, we can react as a team sooner. We've only got, uh, what is it, from now on till tomorrow morning is 14 hours till they start again. And if there's any massive jobs that needs to be done, we've got to start it straight away. But as I always tell uh, the team, the race is, uh, is not one on one day. It's over the whole period. So for 12 days, the technicians have got to be in top peak condition. That means getting as much sleep early on in the race so they're as strong on day two as they are on day 12. Thankfully there haven't been too many massive jobs, touch wood, not that I know of, although last night, stage four, um, the guys uh, worked quite a bit on Bernard's car. Yeah, we did. Um, we had quite a few things to check. The actual job wasn't so uh, so big, the changing the gearbox and a few other you know, aspects of the car, but checking everything, that took some time diffs out, dry shafts out, checking all of those. And uh, because we don't want to just willy-nilly replace parts, we're limited on how many kilograms of uh, stuff we can bring with us. So, you know, if, uh, if something is not suspect, we want to run it until its life is up. I just chatted to Bernard now. I didn't get a chance to speak to him yesterday because he physically couldn't talk. Um, very, very ill yesterday. I managed to recover somewhat. Um, but yeah, that must be tough. I mean, in our media crew, Ben, we've been chatting to throughout. I mean, he's just getting over uh, something, uh, something horrid. Um, when you've got a, a team of four trying to capture a global title, someone gets ill, man, you just don't want it to affect other people and obviously you want them to get better. Absolutely. You know, we're all keeping Bernard away from everybody as much as we can uh, because if one person goes down, you'll find the whole team can go down before you blink and that would really hurt us. So Bernard wasn't really well at all. He can hardly speak at the end of uh, the stage today. And of course, when that's on top of all the physical exertion of a normal day, which remember, they've been training for months for this, so uh, now they pile a, a load of flu on top of that, it really does take the edge off. And Bernard said he was so exhausted yesterday, made a mistake with one gear shift, and it nearly cost him the rally. And this is what Bernard had to say uh, following today's stage, and uh, you can just hear exactly how his voice was starting to take strain. Today uh, goes quite good. Um, uh, we, did, uh, we did quite well uh, till the first uh, neutralization. We were around uh, P5, P6, I think. And it was quite good, pace is good. Um, uh, the second part, uh, the sandy tracks, um, we lost a little bit, oh, we lost not a little bit, we lost some time with, uh, with navigation. Uh, we didn't find uh, the WPC. Uh, that cost us in, uh, five to six minutes, I think. And the second time also, we make a small mistake. Um, no punctures, uh, everything went well, the car was very good. And uh, yeah, we lost some um, 
important uh, minutes and um, yeah, it's qu quite shame, but okay, it's uh, all in the game. So a good performance from Bernard, uh, Janil de Villiers, um, yeah, just uh, finishing ahead of Fernando Alonso. What a performance fr from Fernando. Uh, again, we have to reiterate his debut Dakar rally and, and very much new to, to this type of sport. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I've been working with Fernando now since uh, met him in March. We did the first test and already I could see something uh, special in him. But what was more impressive for me uh, on a personal note with Fernando was he's just one of the boys here. I mean, this global superstar, this icon of, uh, of motorsport drivers in the whole history and there's Sorrel Fendemerva said to me uh, a few months back he said no in his opinion Fernando's the greatest driver that's ever lived and I, I said Sorrel are you sure about this he said no I'm positive and trust me I know and <laughs> Van knows a lot let me tell you and uh, Sorrel knows how to drive so Andy studies this a lot he has time to uh, study and he takes it all in and what I've seen from Fernando is he is willing to take the most smallest detail from you and use it. He takes everything and asks questions about the most minute thing on the cars. It's actually refreshing. And uh, you know, I was very hesitant in the in the beginning to kind of give him my opinion or advice or almost. But uh, yeah, I did it, and he took it, and he wanted more and more and more from all the years of experience that I've had personally and working with drivers like Janiel, Leroy, and now Hank. And he's just taken it all, and look what uh, what he's done. He's, I think, he's just shown the world how special he is. What's the story been like dealing with the Fernando Alonso Dakar journey? Uh, I mean, first, talk us through the right at the beginning uh, when it was apparent that he was coming on board I mean did you think this would be a, a flash in the pan publicity stunt or did you think this man can truly drive did, did you have that conversation with Sorrel before or after you knew that he was coming on board no the conversation with Sorrel was long after it was only a couple of months ago when I, we were talking at a MSA board meeting and I said hey Ben you know Fernando's much better than everybody's going to think and that's when he told me so we started in Namibia and uh earnestly in Namibia and over those three days the the improvement was astonishing the first day he went out the very first time with Mark into those big dunes off Olfus Bay took his breath away a little bit he came back we sat down we discussed it I could see it in his eyes and I said you know don't worry and you have to say that Janil uh, really helped him out there he went out with Janil and then built slowly over the three days and it's just been like that every single test He's never come away from a test without a massive improvement. Well, uh, let's uh, hear from Fernando Alonso. A very good day in Stage 5. In fact, he described it as the best he's experienced yet. Yeah, today was good, good stage for us. I think in terms of pace, it was my best state, uh, stage until, until now. Um, we were confident with the car. We had a good rhythm in the, in the sandy place at the end. Um, we start at the back. Uh, on the stage, so that uh, obviously is a disadvantage in, in terms of dust at the beginning, but it, it is an advantage in terms of uh, you know looking at the road uh, later uh, later on in the stage. So yeah, I think uh, yeah we could be a little bit higher on the position, but uh, we want to be maybe a little bit further back tomorrow to start because it's going to be some some suns and some dunes tomorrow. So yeah, very happy with with today's uh, performance. Talk us through, you say you could have been high in the positions, I mean you came out there, you said at one stage you looked at as if you were going to be a P4 for today. 
Well, I think we lost like eight minutes uh, in the first 150 k's with two punches uh, plus the dust uh, uh, at the beginning. So if we remove that, that it was a little bit our um, weakest part of the stage. From that moment, we were like four fastest. So, yeah, uh, as I said, in terms of pace, probably today was the, the best day uh, for me so far. That says it all. I mean, you know, and he's relaxed. He want, he He's frightening me because I've got a feeling he wants to win a stage here. And that's probably the thing that's frightening me. If we could get him, I thought that he would finish fourth or fifth, but I didn't want to publicize that. But certainly in the last uh, few days, he's got the speed to do it, no question. Yeah, what I took out of it, uh, I mean, as soon as he got out the car, he was chatting to you. And he said, we were riding fourth. We could have got a P4. And then, uh, yeah, they had a couple of issues along the way. And he was very, very disappointed. He was happy to have completed the stage and done very well. But you can see the hunger in his eyes to, to do exceptionally well. And, and as you say, a stage win could be in the offing. I don't think you become uh, two times with a possible four or five times world champion. I mean, one world championship, he lost by half a point, I think, and the other by, by a point if you don't set your targets high. And for, <laughs> believe me, with Fernando, they're very high. But he's humble with it. I mean, he's real. It's, uh, it's so refreshing. It's incredible. I, I don't know any other... <laughs> Can you imagine how brave this guy is to come to this discipline? And I mean, he said on the on the grid to Martin Brundle at the Bahrain ra last race, and uh, he said, "How's Dakar? What's it going to be like?" He said, "Well, it's the most dangerous thing I've ever done." Finished. That uh, was it. Ben Ben brought it up uh, the other night in that we've had some big names take part in Dakar in the past. Uh, it's always been a playground for the rich and famous, thinking they can take it on. But more often than not, it's, it's resulted in disaster. It's not the case now. No, not at all. And I mean, we had this discussion. I was very clear with him when we ha did the first test. And I said, Sebastian Loeb is regarded as the best gravel driver the sport has ever seen. And he couldn't win in three attempts. So I was very, very open with him as to how difficult this is. And if Loeb couldn't do it, and you want to do it, this is going to be quite a big challenge. He says, I'm up for it. And that was it. Nasser Latia uh, still flying the flag high for Toyota Gazoo Racing. Yeah, no, he had, uh, he had a good day, but a kind of difficult day. In the beginning, a very rare navigational error from Matthew, so they were on the back foot a little bit. Then they pushed through the stage, running a bit higher tire pressure than uh, we would have normally liked, but he was so fearful of having a puncture in the first 130 Ks because we were leaving that rocky Alula area. And... Uh, once he got through that, um, he just opened the throttle and really uh, didn't look back. So the last 80 k's he had a slow puncture and then the last 3 k's the tyre came off the rim. So that really hampered him. But I was kind of hoping we would have won today. But uh, Carlos was on a mission of note and uh, I haven't heard what happened to Stefan. I d believe he had a puncture early on and never really recovered from it. But... Uh, NASA flying so first day in the dunes tomorrow so let's see let's see how that goes but uh, we've got a fight on our hands here every time NASA mentions the dunes he has a massive smile on his face because he's of the opinion that when it comes to the sand that's when a, a Toyota Gazoo Racing is going to take over it's not as clear-cut as that but uh, y you must be a little bit excited I'm excited and I'm apprehensive each day you know uh, this time last year we had a 20-minute lead 
and now we've got a six minute deficit but uh, and we've got Janil's had some problems you know with uh, so many punctures so he's not in the running so it's ending up as a fight between Nasser and Carlos that means that each one of them is winning every other day stage so you only get to gain three minutes at a go which is exactly what Carlos did today. He started three minutes behind and finished alongside Nasser at the finish. Okay, Nasser had a puncture the last, uh, you know, 80k slow puncture and then the tie coming off, which didn't help. But uh, yeah, that's really worrying me. We kind of got to get past him and, and get away, and that is not going to be easy, especially in the soft sand. And uh, I thought at sea level, with the difference in restrictors, we would be okay, but for sure uh, NASA said today when it comes to the straight and the soft sand the uh, mini buggy with the bigger restrictor is just disappearing so we're having to take a few more risks than we'd like. Yeah, you've got the old Dakar war dogs uh, going head to head in NASA and uh, King Carlos. Uh, it's amazing he, he just manages to keep his nose in, in front as uh, the Spaniard. Yeah um, I, this is the best Dakar that I've seen Carlos drive uh, in the last five six years and uh, yeah he won in 2018 but you know it was a little bit of a default we had uh, a real big tire issue then that cost us that Dakar I'm convinced of it and now we've had over 30 punctures between the four cars in the first five stages so <laughs> we're up against it again with the tires and uh, we put in all this effort all of the money you know and all of the training testing that we're doing and come here and have the this problem it's a bit frustrating so yeah let's get into the dunes at least the tires the puncture shouldn't be a you know a factor against us and we can get on with it but uh, I am a bit little bit worried about the the power deficit that we seem to be in you know uh, encountering well, of course, I caught up with uh, NASA and Mathieu straight after their arrival at the bivouac following stage five this was their thoughts yeah, good uh, good day for us, and uh, I am quite happy, you know. Uh, but uh, it's not easy day uh, for everybody, and uh, the pace was really uh, good uh, for us, just to to keep uh, going, you know, with the mini to mini, uh, because uh, every the two mini is helping uh, each other, you know. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm quite happy. So today was a real, real stage. Uh, two, two different parts of the stage. The first one, like a little bit yesterday, with some uh, big uh, rocks, stone, canyon, and uh, difficult way to find. And uh, stony again. So it was difficult a little bit for, for us, but no puncture then. <laughs> uh, we arrived at the neutralization um, stop of 15 minutes with a um, little gap in front of uh, Carlos Sainz and uh, Stefan Peter Ansel. But then the second part of the stage was completely different. A lot of camel grass, sand dunes, uh, sandy tracks, and uh, that part was not really made for our 4x4. But anyway, we were um, pushing all the way. Uh, Nasser did a very good job on the on the steering wheel. Uh, no mistake on the navigation side, and uh, but but the buggy was just too fast today. So we finished all together, uh, the three cars uh, following each other to to the finish, and I think we we did a good job today. So final words, uh, Glenn, before we wrap up things with you, uh, just in terms of Saudi Arabia, uh, what did you expect? Has it met your expectations? Exceeded them? Well, we were just discussing it in the car today. The ASO have done a fantastic job. 
I mean, the organization is incredible. The bivouacs su supplied by Saudi in the pits here are really great. Um, the weather's a bit colder than we would have liked normally. Yeah, so, but the blue skies, when the sun's out, it's okay. But the lads, uh, technicians are suffering at night. It was two degrees this morning, and that's a bit nifty. Uh, but really, uh, yeah, Saudi Arabia, the Dakar is, is great. The organization's been superb. We've, uh, the police have been, you know, manning all of the road sections and things. So we're, you know, traversing between the cities is great. I think the one guy in the bivouac said last night they fed 2,400 people just to give the, uh, the listeners a bit of a feeling of how big this is. Because this is big. This is the biggest motorsport event in the world, single you know, uh, event in the world by far. And uh, we've got the race day coming up after stage six, the, the midway point of uh, the 2020 Dakar rally. Uh, and I asked you this on camera a little earlier, but um, are you desperately awaiting it? Is it something that doesn't really come into focus for now, um, given the fact that it has been so tough? No, it's, uh, I'm not even thinking about it. Next, tomorrow's another day, and uh, whether it's a rest day or not, it's maximum attack. The cars have been prepared exactly the same way as they've been every day so far. We've got a big stage tomorrow, the Dunes for the first time, as I mentioned earlier. So uh, we're going to see a different aspect to the performance of the cars. That excites me and a little bit of trepidation mixed in with it because uh, we need to find an advantage here somewhere. We are looking for it. Yeah, if anything, a, a race day is only a race day for the drivers and navigators. Uh, the, the team principal, his mechanics, his team work even harder because the cars are here 24/7. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be uh, we're going to use the time um, actively throughout the rest day. So it's certainly not a rest day for the crews at all. The only rest that they get is they're in the same place for two nights running, and uh, we'll be giving the cars a thorough check. There's some routine maintenance that is done according to the schedule tomorrow. So the lads have got a big night ahead of them tomorrow night and then a big day the following day because we always want to finish the cars by four or five o'clock on the rest day, not run into the night because uh, you need to give them a little bit of a test run out because you changed a lot of parts and all this is scheduled. So uh, hopefully it goes smoothly. And uh, finally, just tell us a little bit about stage six. From what we know, it's a closed rose book again, road book again. That means that uh, the co-drivers have got less work tonight. We don't know exactly what's coming. We've got a rough description. That's how we know there is dunes. We know it's all sand. And uh, we're going to see tomorrow morning, 15 minutes before they start, leave the bivouac is the first time we're going to have a proper profile of the stage and you can hardly talk to the co-drivers then they are flat out checking their road books making sure everything is 100% in there they're not allowed in this Dakar to write a single thing in the road book they can can't even use colored pens except to highlight the existed markers you can't add information so all of this adds to the pressure but I must say that uh, it's very even for the teams at the top there's cameras in every car. Nobody seems to be getting, uh, appears to be a way to get outside help. So this is perhaps the most uh, even Dakar, shall we say, in terms of acquiring local knowledge one way or other that we've had maybe in the history or certainly in the last 10 years of the Dakar. The, the ASO have done a great job there. I know you're a very busy man. Just before you go, Ben has just joined us again uh, following a very interesting interview, which I'm sure you're going to tell us about now. But uh, any last thoughts for, for Glenn? I just found your new driver for next year. <laughs> you've, 
You, you're talking about Chris Meek, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I've just been chatting with Chris Meek. So cool in the Dakar to bump into so many different people. We had Dave Richards snooping around the other day, and uh, Jackie X was having a look into your bivouac on day two. It's, it's cool to see these people in the middle of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I, I had a long chat to Jackie X. I mean, he's 75. He looks great. He had a lot of... Uh, a lot of advice for Fernando, obviously being uh, a past, uh, you know, circuit racer and then turning to Dakar, but geez, he was full of life, huh? And yeah, I had a chat to Dave Richards. Looks like they're coming to Dakar in a big way with another manufacturer. So uh, the sport is growing. They're building a car now starting next month. And uh, I spent quite a lot of time with Chris Meek, first time I've met him. It's really nice. I knew uh, his mentor, Colin Well. And Chris has got a lot of Colin inside of him, but uh, Chris is uh, dribbling to come to this sport. There's no, I can see his mouth watering, but what a great guy. Down to earth, he, uh, he knows the story. It was really interesting. Uh, and he's just outfacted me with his, all of his uh, geekery about who's won what and when. And amazing to see somebody of that profile to be such a fan and to know so much about the sport. And he's only ever watched it on TV on those 26-minute highlights that you and I watch. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, he, not only that, he's sleeping in a tent here. Yeah, he, I know. He's doing it, it the proper us. way. <laughs> and uh, But what was interesting in discussing a lot of stuff with Chris, and we, we went to go and watch uh, the end of the stage the other day, so we spent a few hours together, is he's ridden the Baja 1000 on a bike, which was 30 hours in the saddle. So he's certainly fit enough and got the endurance to, uh, to enter this discipline. And uh, as I say, he's hungry. <laughs> very hungry to come. Speaking of uh, getting new drivers, uh, that certainly won't be the case for now because you've got a, an all-star cast. Uh, I know I said final question 18 questions ago, but I know you're enjoying this, so we're going to keep you here as long as we possibly can. But um, uh, how does that how does that enter the equation in terms of getting new players into the fold? Of course, we had Fernando join now, but he joined a team that were three cars strong and they were pretty solidified in terms of the Toyota Gazoo racing fraternity. Um, I mean, would you look to change things up in the near future? Not so. You happy with how things are going? Yeah, well, this is the biggest team that we've uh, ever come to Dakar with in terms of, shall we say, a South African. Now we've got uh, Toyota Europe involved. Now we've got Japan involved. But really, all the main technicians and engineers are coming from South Africa. So this is the biggest effort that we've ever, ever done. The lads have stepped up to the mark. To go to more drivers requires more funding. That's the key issue. There's no question about that. But this is a race that you can't easily win on your own. Uh, NASA's trying to do that now, but you need more drivers in the team at the same level. Even last year when Janil, you know, was leading the Dakar, then, then went out, NASA wanted him behind him. He wanted the confidence to know that somebody was there if you made a small error you know, 10 minutes in this race is actually nothing. Remember, we're going to be racing for 50 hours. Every day, we are doing an entire WRC race and a bit more. I don't think that uh, the li listeners... I d I'm not sure everybody grasps this. We are doing two years of South African championships in 10 days. It's, uh, you know, it's quite daunting. And it it's amazing, the cars, the punishment. Fernando just said to me earlier on, said the car took a real pounding today fourth fifth gear through the camel grass he said he could hardly see at times it was so uh, you know so violent in the car so uh, yeah the machines are incredible and uh, to have more drivers needs more people more funding but we need more people in the race uh, there's no question always we do we'll take them yeah and it's very interesting you see that philosophy uh, in the bikes as well you know the teams are 
four, five riders so that you've got that field spread, so you've got that confidence. And also you need to place uh, your teammates between your rivals so that when you go into the stage and you've got those three minute gaps, there is a large gap between one and the next. So if you're catching up, unlike NASA today, who got to the front and you know he could have pushed harder, but taken so many risks to try and make up any time. If there was two or three cars between him and his rival Carlos Sainz, he would have had more opportunity to push to the front of the pack. Yeah, Ben, you're absolutely right. I should be a team manager. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I must go quickly because there's a lot going on behind me here. But Stefan's won two Dakars without winning a stage. The only way you can do that is if you've got four guys fighting for the lead. When you, in the situation we are now with Carlos and NASA right at the front, you know, that's the worst. Uh, scenario you can have. You, one's got to win a stage one day, then the other the next day. If somebody comes in the mix, that can really help you, make a big, big difference. But uh, yeah, the, the bike philosophy is exactly the same in the cars. You need four or five guys at the front, then you can uh, kind of have a strategy. Right now, our only strategy is fighting. You know, all the tools are out here. We're, we're in a big fight. Final, final, final question, Glenn. <laughs> what did it feel like heading into this Dakar as the defending champions? And what did it do for Toyota Gazoo Racing? Winning the championship, winning the Dakar. I mean, did it take you into a different stratosphere in terms of publicity, funding the works? Or, or did was it still tough? No, it was still tough, but the, the monkey's off the back. We've, we've won the race. We should have won at more than two in my opinion you know we discussed the tire issue we had in 2018 but uh, we came here with a different type of confidence shall we say we were confident last year we had a great car we've got the best car we've ever built here this year but people are improving all the time the terrain's different so we were up against the race again so there's two elements to the Dakar one's the competition the other's the race itself you know so uh, you've got to get them both right to be able to win this Glenn, it's been a pleasure. I know you're a very busy man. Go and uh, look over your men, your troops, and uh, make sure they put the finishing touches to those magnificent four Hiluxes that will be doing battle in uh, Stage 6 before the race day. Uh, you looking forward to the race day, Ben? Yeah, I am actually, but I'm quite in the rhythm of this event. I'm quite in the rhythm of the day-by-day uh, -day races, seeing what's happening. Interesting, we're talking about the NASA versus Carlos thing. I covered my first Dakars back in 2012, 2013. That was the last few years of the Coma de Pre um, domination. And there were really only two people that you went into the rally thinking would win. Uh, nobody else really could get anywhere near them. So you had this rhythm of one day it was Coma, one day it was de Pre, one day it was Coma. And the, the gaps kind of stagnated between three and six, three and six depending on who went first into the stage. And we do have, at the moment, the risk of that happening here with Nasser and Carlos. Stevan is able to get into the mix of things, but I'm, my feeling is already that he's kind of got to a position where he's accepted that he's second to Carlos in that team. What Nasser really needs is Janil and Fernando to start getting in the mix, to get in between those guys and to create that gap at the start of the stage. Then we have the opportunity uh, to perhaps pull a gap. Otherwise, the mini, all four bu uh, the mini buggies are on different tyres, much, much larger tyres per regulation. They don't seem to be suffering the punctures that we're suffering. Uh, I should say we're Toyota Gazoo Racing. I've got, my, I've got two logos on my shirt. No, wear it. Wear it with pride. <laughs> uh, the minis are struggling. The, 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 the four-wheel drive minis are struggling as well with this same tyre. Uh, but it, what it does mean is, you know, 
these guys have done nothing wrong. The, the car has been, apart from a slight gearbox issue with Bernard, who, and he admitted it was his fault, there has been no mechanical problems. The only issue, the only time loss, has been through illness with Janil, uh, slight tweak in the neck t t today, Bernard also ill, and punctures. A lot and lot of punctures, and that's really hard to swallow for the team to know that they're doing a great job. And the one thing they can't control, the punctures, is what potentially could lose them the rally. And there's nothing that these guys can do. We were out on the stage this morning, went to a, a part of the uh, route the tr that joined a normal track. And lining that track were these big uh, slate um, rocks, sharp, sharp rocks. You come around a corner where those are lying on the outside, they're going to cut a tyre instantly. Um, and the mini buggies seem to be able to just drive over them whereas we are cutting our eyeballs quite a lot. So um, I hope with the change of terrain, moving into sand, this changes, but NASA got a puncture on the last 50 kilometers, a slow puncture. Wheel came off the rim by the end. That's why he lost that extra minute on the last, uh, last split. It doesn't seem like the drivers can do much to avoid these punctures. And so fingers crossed, sand means no more. And we can move into proper competitive pushing where the four wheel drives in the dunes do have an advantage over the minis in the flats the minis have the speed advantage well before we wrap up uh, you mentioned Janil de Villiers uh, getting the tweak of the neck and uh, his co-driver Alex Harris seemed a little bit concerned when it happened uh, Hilly however said uh, nah it was uh, nothing and, and he'll get over it by stage six no it's uh, you know it's it's so rough out there in the camel grass you just I just hit one uh, little bit skew and um, you know, you you feel it because you've been. Uh, it's it's hard on the neck for 250 k's today. So, uh, yeah, I just I, I slow down a bit to the end, but um, yeah. So great to hear from Hilly and Alex. In fact, uh, the entire Toyota Gazoo Racing Fraternity. Incredible insights from Glenn Hall. We'll be hoping to do a massive uh, podcast uh, during that race day coming up in two days' time. And uh, excited for stage six at least, Ben. Where, what can we expect? I know we chatted a bit about it uh, with Glenn, but uh, your thoughts on it? It's a big day, isn't it? It's the longest day we, we, we'll face uh, as the assistance crew. It's the longest day the drivers will face although in fact it's not the longest competitive stage because there's a big liaison but the liaisons are all part of the fatigue it's loud in those cars even though they've got their headphones on and driving on these roads you do have to keep your eyes open we've followed fernando yesterday where he had to slam on the brakes because somebody pulled out of a turning in front of him you know you always have to be aware you cannot sleep on these liaisons uh, and then you've got to go flat out in the dunes in the sands but uh, I think the drivers and the teams will be happy for, a, well, the drivers will be happy for a rest day. The teams don't get a rest day. These cars will be taken to completely to bits, back to bare shells and rebuilt again, uh, even though they're bulletproof at the moment. Yeah, if anything, it's the busiest day of the entire day off for them, uh, apart from when uh, Bernard Tenbrinke comes in with uh, a busted gearbox, which thankfully was rectified pretty quickly uh, well, until 2 a.m. this morning. Ben, thanks as always. No worries. It's been great, and thanks for uh, joining us before and at the end. Uh, quickly, how did the interview go? Uh, I know you touched on it a little earlier. Yeah, Chris Meek, uh, WRC driver, if you don't know, um, was Toyota Gazoo Racing in the Yaris last year, uh, but his seat has been taken by Sebastian Auger, uh, Elvin Evans and Callie Rovenpera they've got a completely new lineup at the Yaris team at to Tommy Mackinnon's team he's kind of the boss he calls the shots and, and therefore Chris is still looked after by the Toyota Gazoo family because he was a driver so he's hanging around here and obviously very 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 keen on joining the Dakar uh, even perhaps next year let's see what happens with Fernando will he continue over the next couple of years or will there be a seat available who knows
Who knows? Watch the space. Dung, dung, dung. We'll catch up after stage six. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media.